0: Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea, chapter 3. In the Old Testament, Hosea, we're going through this book of the Bible, and it is a great book of the Bible. Um, Let me just mention something about Vacation Bible School. It's just a few weeks away, and while we've talked about children today, Vacation Bible School is a great opportunity to teach boys and girls about the things of God, and we see people come to Christ through the message of the gospel. And if you're interested in helping in Vacation Bible School, if you're interested in volunteering We are interested in helping you to volunteer. If you'll, after the um, service is over, if you'll go back out in the atrium, right out in the atrium, there's a table there. It says VBS for Vacation Bible School, and they'll help you. And we have a lot of kids we know, and you can register kids for Bible School now as well, but I want you to consider that. There's something good about giving and serving and teaching people about the gospel message. Something about that that's powerful. And maybe some of you, God's laying on your heart to help us with Bible school. Well, let's open our, our Bibles to Hosea chapter 3. Sometimes Vicky and I will watch these uh, uh, Fixer Upper shows. I'm going to talk this morning about restoration. And on the Fixer Upper shows, and there's lots of those now, they'll take some dilapidated property and they'll put it back together and they'll fix it up and make it nicer than ever. I mean, it's some, maybe some property just hasn't looked very good or has fallen into disrepair that has been neglected And they'll just put it together and sometimes better than it's ever been. And God in heaven is a fixer-upper. I mean, he takes our dilapidated, neglected spiritual lives and he'll put it back together and he'll help us to see the greater purpose, make us better than ever. So let's read this story in Hosea chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter, only five verses long. And we're going to look at restoration and how God restores the Bible says in, in chapter 3, before I read, can I just mention what happened in Hosea? You remember Hosea is a prophet. God says to Hosea the prophet, I want you to marry a woman of promiscuity. Exciting. Well, okay. And have children of promiscuity. Double excitement. And it's going to be a lesson to Israel because that's them. They're unfaithful. They. Call me Lord, but they don't live, they've chased other gods and other ideas. And so Hosea marries this woman, Gomer, and they have three children together with some very unusual names, instructive names, and now Gomer has left, she's off chasing some other guy. Let's pick up the story in chapter 3. The Bible says, then the Lord said to me, go again, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and nine bushels of barley. I said to her, You're to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same way toward you. For the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the people of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come with awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Well, here's the principle I want you to get. God wants to restore you to a right relationship with him. It's really the story of Hosea. God wants to restore you to a right relationship with him. So God is using the story of Hosea, the prophet, who marries a wife of promiscuity, has children of promiscuity, and God says, this is a lesson for you, Israel. I want you to learn that I uh, made you for something better and you are mine by rights and by covenant and you have run from me and I want you to learn the lessons that you can be restored. And may I say it's not just for Israel and Judah, but it is for O'Fallon and this region for us to understand this truth that God wants to restore us and bring us into right relationship with him. So let's note five ways we are restored by God, five lessons this passage teaches us. Hold your Bible open. Let's note these five together. Principle number one, we are restored by God's love. By God's love. If you're a note taker, you could write that down. We are restored by God's love. One of the ways God restores us is through the example of His love. In verse 1 of chapter 3, the Lord said to Hosea, go again and show love to a woman who's loved by another man and is, is an adulteress. That's his wife, Gomer. Gomer ran off, found another guy, and Now God said, okay, here's what I want you to do, Hosea. You go back to her and love her again. And here's why. Just as, verse 1 says, just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. He said, you go to them, you go back to Gomer and love her, Even just like I am coming to Israel and loving Israel. She ran from you, Israel's run from me. And I want you to see, that God's love is a means by which we're, we are restored to him. So let's note a couple of things. First, let's note that we, we have a tendency to love substitutes. So the Bible says here, uh, talks about other gods. They turn to other gods. And of course, that's just been an age-old problem. And While we don't have maybe household idols like they did, we have some form of idolatry so commonly. So we find something... That becomes that we love more than God, something, whatever it is, maybe that's you. And though you have trusted Christ as Savior, perhaps, or you've made some commitment to Him, you've loved possessions, or your career, or recreation, or even family. Can I just tell you something about family? If you put family first and God second, you will not love your family as much, or as well, or as effectively as if you were put God first and your family second. I'm I'm just telling you, that's true. And so whatever it is you put ahead of God, other gods, it's whatever you love more than God. And notice the Bible talks here about raisin cakes. Is that not kind of a surprising thing? You didn't know the sermon would be on raisin cakes today. Well, raisin cakes uh, are really just a reminder of loving pleasure and missing purpose. So in a day when there was little sugar, raisin cakes were like a, well, what a great treat. I mean, I, like we have sugar, so, we have so much sugar, we hardly notice anything sweet. The other day I stopped some place and I impulse bought some double-dipped chocolate peanuts. And I, just, and I just ate them, you know, just, they were delicious at first. And then after a while, I just this started making me feel sick, and I just you know you don't have to do that. You don't have to just eat them and eat them and eat them. I know you you can use moderation. In theory, I know in moderation you could do this in moderation. But I sometimes I'm not very theoretical about things, and and I just started feeling bad. And God in heaven is saying, listen, you are you love your raisin cakes. What you what you love is pleasure. I I want you to love purpose. Israel, I made you for something eternal, not something temporary. Raisin cakes last for a moment. I made you for something eternal. And many people in our world are making a substitute for the eternal that God wants. They're just chasing after some raisin cake. For for the better things God has, the more substantive, the more lasting, the more filling, the more important, the more eternal, we substitute it for other things. But not only do we love substitutes, I want you to note this, but God still loves us Even though, Notice how the Bible says it in verse 1. Hosea, I want you to go show love to a woman who's loved by another man's an adulteress. And Hosea must have said, "Uh, man, God, I'm going to marry her. This woman of promiscuity. Had children of promiscuity. But she she left. And you want me to go again? And the Lord said, yeah, just as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. You You know, here's what we... We tend, to do, we, we tend to see, like we want to be the hero of the story, so we're, we see ourselves like Hosea. We've been wronged by someone, and we're like Hosea. No, Hosea was representing in this story, this is the Lord's position, the Lord and Israel, Hosea and Gomer. We, in this story, are like Israel. We are like Judah. We are like Gomer. I mean, you didn't come today... Th- to be called Gomer, but that's what we are like. We make a commitment to God, and we run from him. We say he's our Lord, and yet we don't live that out. And here's the amazing thing. But God still loves us. I don't don't always get it. Why? I, I do not get why God loves us as he does. But I know that he loves us still. And there is something powerful about this unconditional love, this the love of God. You know one of the reasons we, we love our mothers when Mother's Day matters to us? I mean, one of the reasons is because they often in our lives, for many of us, they are the person who just loved us even though we mess up, even though we go the wrong way, and we don't act like we ought to act. and we, But but they still love us through all of that. And there's something about their love that just, even though we don't always reciprocate it as we, would, as we ought, we, there's something about that love that's constant. God in heaven loves you. I don't always understand why, but I know that. He loves. And we put substitutes. We chase after raisin cakes, and we find other gods to put ahead of Him, and yet He comes back and loves us, and He and he's always wooing us back and he wants to restore us. And one of the ways he restores us is to remind us of how much he loves us. And if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, one of the one good reason to is just because because God loves you. in your brokenness and your uh in your dilapidated state, he still loves you. Christian, he still loves you. Even though the paint's peeling on the walls of your life and the boards are rotting and the foundation is shifting, God still loves you. That's a second way we are restored by, by God. We're restored, secondly, by God's provision. Would you write that down? We're restored by God's provision. So verse 2 says, I, I love this, so, I love how often the Bible just says something so amazing in just such a short, in one word, so, that is, Hosea is told by God to do this hard thing, so he's going to do it. So I bought her, Now, we're not told exactly why he had to buy her. Did she actually become a slave? Or was there some sort of endowment sort of thing she had to give because of it? Some sort of payment she had to make to the other man? That he had to make to the other man, we don't know. But for whatever reason, Hosea had to buy back the wife that was rightly his. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and nine bushels of barley. The coins in his pocket And the bread on his table. And I want you to get this principle. God pays the price for your restoration. God pays the price for your restoration. God buys us back. There's a couple of words that help us to understand this. The word redeemed or redemption is in the Bible a lot. And the word redemption, the word redeemed means we are bought back by God. So we are rightly gods by creation. God created us for a purpose. And in salvation, he buys us back. Our sin separates us from God. It removes us from God's holiness. And Christ buys us back. He redeems us. Rightly his. Hosea married the girl. She was rightly his wife. But she left and he bought her back. God in heaven who created us, redeems us in salvation. And he will save you from your sins. He'll pay the price for you to be saved. And then note the word sacrifice. Sacrifice is often in the Bible. Christ sacrificed for us. The the means by which we can be saved is the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus died in our place. He died for our sins. His sacrifice is what sets us free. In fact, even discipleship is about sacrifice. Discipleship is about sacrifice. You're to be a living sacrifice. You're to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. To deny yourself, sacrifice. And so the Bible reminds us that that is God's redemptive work. That God pays the price for you to be restored. It's not that, not that Gomer deserved it, right? Does he deserve it? I mean, I mean, if you were, if you could put yourself in the in the position of Hosea, would you say, man, I, yeah, of course. I mean, she, she earned it. I mean, she deserves it. Of course not. She ran from him. She ran from him. And yet, he loved her. Came back to her. God loves us. I have a, um, I've got a good driving record. I uh, haven't had an accident in years and years and years. I haven't had a speeding ticket in years and years and years. I haven't... Um, I haven't been pulled over. I had not been pulled over (laughs) until, for years, until I was in Texas. Some of you heard me say I was in Texas uh, helping my son-in-law and daughter move. They were moving about an hour and 20 minutes or so from where they lived in the suburbs of Dallas out in East Texas. And so I was helping them move, trip back, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I was still not fully recovered from doing that for several days and so one night I had we'd moved stuff a couple of times and taken it to their new house and the bed Vicky and I were sleeping and we're still back at the old house and so we had unpacked things it was late at night we're going to drive back to the old house where the bed is and spend the night where we'll pack more stuff the next day well on the way back I'm Vicki and I were just talking we hadn't you know I'm bemoaning all the hard work I'm sure and Vicki had been watching the Six girls, six granddaughters that our daughter has. And so, uh, I mean, her daughters, our grandchildren. And so, I'm, we're driving back and driving along, and there's just little small towns along the way, a uh, farm to market road there in Texas. And uh, to my great surprise, a, the police lights came on, and I realized suddenly they were for me. <laughs> and so, I pulled over. I saw it was going fast. I mean, Texas has like seventy-five mile-hour speed limits and things, but this is a small town, and so I, I just did not realize that I was going that fast. I wasn't going seventy-five or anything, but I was going. It had dropped down in speed, and I had not noticed it. And So I pulled over. and pulled into a gas station, and uh, the police officer came over. And I am always polite. I, I want to be polite to people in general, but I'm going to be polite to police officers. I mean, just say what a difficult job that can be. It's a generation where people don't respect police officers as, as often. And, but, you know, if you, if you need a police officer, they're going to come and help you and protect you or provide for you. I mean, that is a position we ought to be respectful toward. It just is. And so I'm going to be respectful to a police officer. And I got pulled over and uh, there's a female police officer got out of the car came up to me and she said, do you know Uh, why I pulled you over and I said I'm so sorry I'm sure I I must have been speeding I apologize she said what were you doing and um, I told her I was moving my son-in-law my daughter I told her from where to where she asked a story you know I'm my license plate is from Illinois what are you doing all the way I came all the way you came all the way from Illinois to help your kids move yeah yeah that's what you know that's what dads do and moms do and we were just helping and and you know she oh that is so kind of you and so she went back and took her a license and a registration card, and went back and spent a while. Vicki said, You're gonna pay a ticket, it's gonna cost you a bunch of money. And I said, uh, You know, well, it's, it's, I hate it, but I, it's been so long. Some of you have been pulled over so often, this is no big deal to you. <laughs> but for me, I'm, just, I'm new to that. I haven't, it's been years. So, a long time back there, I thought, Man, I can't think of anything, I've done any crimes or anything, I don't know what they're looking at. But finally, she came back and she said, I'm not gonna give you a ticket and uh, just please be careful, and thanks for helping your fam, that was nice." And I said, thank you so much, and took my stuff, and I said, Vicki, we're gonna be careful. Vicki's like, man, she is a rule keeper. Okay, we're gonna be careful, I'm gonna help you, because we were just talking and things, And I'm gonna help you. So, you know, back up, get out of the town, back up to whatever it was, whatever the speed limit was, uh, 65, 70 and stuff, you know, on the kind of rural roads, and, um, and we're driving along. And not 10, 12 minutes later, another set of police lights went off. (laughs) And they also were for me. (laughs) So like when we're driving after that, you know, I said, Vicki, we're going to be really careful. I want to pay a ticket. You know, it's a lot of money. I'll be really careful. So she said, oh, it's 55 now. Okay. And then she missed one. So... (laughs) kind of her fault really you know you get right now it's kind of her fault <laughs> so uh i pulled over and vicki said you are getting a, you are getting a ticket this time for sure like 10 minutes later you know you're definitely getting a ticket and i pulled over police officer got out you know what are you doing i told the story asked the story again i told the story where well, illinois I come to illinois? I'm, Joe, that's what dads do on and on so nice came back went back stayed back there came back up i'm not going to give you a ticket but please be careful Thank heavens. I mean, if he'd have been listening to the radio or something, I'm not going to give you a ticket. And, Ben, you talk about careful from that point forward. If I was going to get a ticket from that point all the way to the house, it was going to be for, for going too slow. That's the only way, the minimum speed limit. Well, I didn't, it wasn't that I deserved not to get a ticket, right? It wasn't that I had, like I didn't merit something. They didn't say, you know, I just, you've been such a, they didn't know me at all. I didn't, I had done nothing for them. And God in heaven knows full well the problems of your life. Some of you have taken sin like it's no big deal, doesn't really matter. God knows, he knows the full gravity of sin. And he paid the price on the the cross. Christ paid the price on the cross for you. Christ died in your stead. And I I want you to remember, if, if for no other reason to be restored spiritually in your life, remember what Christ has done for you. That he loves you. That he has provided for you, though you did not deserve it. Number three, would you note we are restored by God's faithfulness. By God's faithfulness. Go with me to verse three. I said to her, this is Hosea speaking, I said to her, you are to live with me many days. They would already been married once, but he's saying, let's recommit here. You're to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man. And, I mean, that's the same. Of course you'd expect him to say that. That's the commitment. And I will act the same way toward you. He said, I'm going to live faithful to you. Now get this. What God asks of us, the faithfulness he asks of us, he has already given to us. God is always faithful to you. Even when you're not faithful to him, he is faithful to you. Even when you chase after every household idol and, and every raisin cake the world has to offer, God stays faithful to you. You may ignore him, but God doesn't ignore you. You may forget God, but he remembers you. You may stop caring about him, but he has never stopped caring about you. You can forget about God, but God never forgets about you. And he is always faithful to you. He asks of you what he has already provided for you. God is faithful. Many of you, perhaps, are like a your spiritual life is like a roller coaster, and you've gone you go up and make a commitment to God, and then plunge, forget about God, and over and over this has been the pattern of your life, perhaps. and And can I just suggest to you that faithfulness is a better way? It's a better way. If you will say you know, the roller coaster is exciting and you're screaming and fear and all of this involved, but there is something powerful about just that like faithfulness day by day. Like it's not. If you get up in the morning and have a quiet time and you read your, read your Bible, say, so I'm, I'm going to read the Bible each day. That's like, it's not dramatic, but it's faithful. I'm going to pray for my family. I'm going to pray for my friends and pray for the ministries God has for me. I'm going to obey God today. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I'm going to change what he wants me to change. I'm going to act like he wants me to act. I'm going to see my Role as God sees it to be a witness for Him to make an impact, and God's placed me here for a reason. That there's nothing about that that just is like screaming like the big roller coaster at the park, but it's powerful, and real. Real discipleship often is just this series of small step by step by step by step. I'm going to follow God, and some of you have been up and down and up and down and listen. Up, I love I love getting closer to the Lord, but those plunges just keep us from ever having any kind of effectiveness. Can I just tell you God God's always faithful to you. Always. And not just like sometimes. He's faithful to you even in the times when you forget about him. Principle number 4. We are restored by God's discipline. This is one of the means by which God restores us brings restoration to our lives. He disciplines those he loves. Verse 4 says for the Israelites must live many days. He's talking about what will what's going to happen. For the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. So what the Bible is saying here is there comes a day of reckoning for sin. A day's coming. And while God will forgive, God will discipline. And when we choose to run from God, there are consequences. And eventually Israel and Judah would find themselves facing the consequences of their sin. There was a reckoning day that would come. Judah would find herself... uh, in, in under great peril and with great difficulties. God is saying Israel's going to lose several things, going to lose political coverage. You'll be without king or prince. Man, what, how thankful I am for the political freedoms we have in our land. I fear one day we'll just give them away, not realizing the blessings they've been. Just give them away, just give away our freedoms. And that's going to happen, the Lord said to Israel, you're going to lose that. You'll lose your kings and princes and your political coverage. You'll lose your religious opportunities. He says you'll you'll be without sacrifice or sacred pillar. The temple itself would be destroyed. And the people would not have the means of sacrifice. And we, if anything, we, we don't just take our country and freedom for granted. We take the opportunities that come with faith for granted. As though church is no big deal at all. I'm telling many who named the name of Christ, no big deal. Come and go as you please, doesn't really matter, not that big of an issue. As though the Lord Jesus did not himself form the church. As though Jesus did not tell us that we were made for fellowship and we need each other. As though the church is not described as the body of Christ. And we live as though we don't, as though a little finger can live separately from the rest of the body and it just doesn't matter. Oh my goodness, they're going to, there's a reckoning. Spiritual guidance Israel would lose. The Bible says here they would be without ephod. The priests were the ones who taught them about God, the ones who represented God on their behalf. And they would be lost. There would be a day when there would be no priests. Eventually, the Lord Himself would become our great high priest, and we would be able to go directly into His presence. But how quickly Israel just gave up that spiritual guidance. And even they would lose their superstitious hope uh, they would be without household idols. They, they felt like, we'll kind of worship God and have our superstitions, and they held on to that. There always comes a day of reckoning. Now, I'm very thankful that I did not get tickets um, when I got pulled over. I'm thankful. But let me just tell you, if I got pulled over day after day after day, I would. Right? I, I couldn't just drive through those little towns every day, and they'd just say, oh, yeah, aren't you the guy you were helping your son-in-law? Oh, just going through as fast as you want. There comes a day when reckoning happens. And we do that sort of with God, like it's, it's no big, God, it's no big deal, it doesn't really matter, just forgive, let's get it over with. Man, God reminds us, he disciplines us because he loves us. And perhaps some of you are facing the discipline of God right now in your life, and you don't much like it, the conviction, the chastisement, but he does it because he loves you and because he wants what's best for you. As a mother or father who loves their children, say no, who set parameters, God does that because he loves you. Principle number five, we are restored by God's promises, by God's promises. So the Bible says in verse five, afterward, that's after the discipline comes, afterward, there's a day coming. He's talking here about the promises that are coming. Afterward, the people of Israel will return and seek. Those are, those are great words, return and seek. God is saying, I'm going to use my discipline as a means of helping you to see how much you need me. I'm going to use the discipline in the life of Gomer to help her to see how much she needs her husband. And I'm going to use the discipline in the life of Israel to help them to return and seek. God uses that in our lives to cause us to return and seek. And when we repent, when we return, when we seek the Lord, he, when, if you return and when you seek, you will find God's goodness and you will find God's worthiness. So afterward, the Bible says, the people of Israel... Will return and seek the Lord their God. He is the Lord, and David their king. Now, he's not talking about David coming back from the dead, but the lineage of David. He's talking about the Messiah. Jesus comes from the lineage of David. He is the Messiah, the promised King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's reminding the people of Israel to follow him to be restored because he's made promises about their future. And they will come, the Bible says, with awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. So let me note two things with you. First, would you note the Lord is better. He's better than whatever raisin cake you're chasing after, whatever household idol, whatever thing, whatever whatever you thought. That is so much, that's so great. God is better. The Lord is better. He's worthy of your worship. I don't know if you recognize, when you came to this place, the Bible says they will come with awe to the Lord. And maybe you thought of God as nice and fine, but I would love for you to come with awe to the Lord to see the greatness, to see how worthy He is of our praise, how worthy He is of our worship. The Lord is better. Whatever raisin cake you're chasing after, the Lord is better. Here's the second thing I want you to note: The Lord has better. He has better. They will come with awe to the Lord and to His goodness in the last days. So not only is the Lord better just in and of himself, worthy, but he has better for us. He has his goodness, and he has his blessings. And he he wants this for you. Hosea was saying to Gomer, man, I have something better for you. The life I have for you is so much better than that life of promiscuity. I have something better for you. I Have a home, genuine love faithfulness and commitment the Lord is saying Israel I have something better for you than raisin cakes or the false gods of our age I have something better for you O'Fallon I've got something better for you the Lord says than whatever it is you're chasing after whatever you think would satisfy outside of me it will never satisfy and it will never be enough I have something better because I'm better and what I give is better for you when I was young, I knew God was better, but I just didn't know that He wanted better for me. That what He had for me was better for me. But it is. And I want you to note that God wants to restore you. You know, you're a, you're a bit of a fixer-upper, right? There's some paint peeling off the spiritual walls of your life, and there's some cracks in the foundation of your life, and there's some damage that's been done, and God is able and willing to restore Some of you have never trusted Christ as Savior, and today, on the basis of the love of God, the cross of Christ, would you give your life to Christ? Repent of your sins, the Bible says, and place your trust in Christ that He died for you and rose from the grave for you, and ask Him to save you. Receive Him as Savior right where you are today. You can give your life to Christ. You can be saved. Turn from your sin and ask Christ to save you, and if you will, He'll save you. Would you give your life to Christ? Christian, some of you, when I talk about restoration... You know that that's for you and that God brought you to this place and to this message for you, and he wants to restore you. The the bad news is there's some junk and damage and neglect in your life. There's some cracks and some problems, but the good news is there's a God who can fully restore, and he has not stopped loving you. He has not forgotten about you. And it doesn't matter how many raisin cakes you've chased after, only to find they don't satisfy long-term either. He's reminding you that he's got something better. And today, won't you say, God, I, I, want, I want the right relationship. I want to I be, be back in a right relationship. You made me for something more. You saved me for something more. And I want that. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for this great story in your word that teaches us the great truth. There are many here, I don't doubt, Lord, that you brought to this place because you want them to understand the restoration work you want to do in their life. And so I want to ask you, Father, this day, in the name of Jesus, to do that work as they turn to you, as they seek you, as as they are honest with themselves and their needs. Help them to put aside whatever small things, the temporary things that they've chased instead of the eternal, the small things instead of the big, the things that we have put in, given prominence in our lives instead of you, and instead to put those aside and to come back to you. I'm praying for people today to find faith in you, for, for people to come to salvation in Christ today, that you'll draw them by the power of the Holy Spirit. They'll discover a life that deep inside they've longed for, the only thing that will satisfy in the end. And so, Father, would you do that work in us and through us? And I thank you. You'll take us as broken as we are, and you can restore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.